Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey everyone, I'm in the studio today with Cody Coleman and Jake Sullivan. They're joining me this week to listen to and discuss today's interview, which we'll get to in just a second. But first of all, has anyone ever just come right up to you and given you a compliment out of the blue? Yeah, that totally happened to me once. Um, <laughs> I was wearing this really weird outfit. It was, it was a really weird one. I was wearing purple suspenders and some kind of weird striped tie. I was in high school and dude walks up to me and was like, man, I really like your swag. And I thought it was the it was the coolest thing. I had no idea who he was. Just some random stranger it was like, "Man, I really like your swag." I'm like, "Oh, cool, nice." Well, every time we get a five star review, that's how it feels. So I want to share this review today. It's from Annie. She says, "I appreciate the way the Life as Leadership podcast brings together a variety of expert perspectives in an accessible format for aspiring leaders. This is great for any person in any discipline or field who wants actionable advice and practical ways to grow." So. Any chance she was talking about us when she said expert perspectives? Uh, maybe. <laughs> probably not. But she's probably talking about people like Lee Carraher, who is our guest today. She's actually an expert on the topic of intergenerational work settings. So we'll read her full bio in just a second. But first, since we're talking about generational issues, I'm wondering if there have ever been times where you've noticed that the people that you're working with, the people you're communicating with, come from a different generation. Oh, Definitely. Ever since I bought my first subway, I've noticed they have this saying, and they love to say, you didn't buy this subway to make sandwiches, you bought it to make money. And every older person in the room is like, that's right. And I think they see themselves as like the strong capitalist who builds up society by earning money. Yeah. Whereas in my perspective, I'm there to do the job, and the money is sort of a byproduct. And so I feel like my work is what's important. And so I don't know if it's just a different perspective of the same thing, but there's definitely a, a slight perspective shift there. Definitely a different way of communicating the issue, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Cody, how about you? Man, yeah. And looking at the younger generation, it's it's very much how people learn. And, and that could be how they learn how to do a job or how they learn a topic or something like that. But when they're talking about looking something up, that's the way that... I and my generation grew up saying, oh, I'm just going to look this thing up, you know, look at it in a book or look at it wherever else. Now it's become that just that phrase has become, I'm going to search it up Hmm. because they're looking through a search bar and that's all they know. They don't, they don't read books anymore. They read (laughs) articles and they read Buzzfeed stuff like that don't you love it it's, how like you're in your mid-20s and you're already like oh the younger generation out there oh man it's crazy whippersnappers it's really weird man it's really weird but there's a, there's a pretty obvious gap somewhere in there between 
I don't know, ages 19 and 21 or two, I guess. Yeah, for me, it's the lingo. It's changing too fast. No, it's drastic. But (laughs) one of the things that I will say is it's interesting to see how fast people adopt learning online, learning through watching YouTube videos and articles versus trying to find out other ways. And that's across generations. Some people pick it up really fast. Mm -hmm. Other people don't. But some of us, that's kind of the primary way we have learned. Yeah. Definitely. Well, Lee Carraher is the founder and CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing. She's a popular guest expert on leadership, intergenerational workplaces, public relations, crisis communications, social media, and integrated marketing. Lee is the author of Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, which is a book based on her experience with first failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials in her business. Her book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspiring Lifetime Loyalty from Employees, is a pragmatic and actionable guide to creating high-performing work cultures ready for the future. Here is Lee. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Joshua. I'm so glad to be here. So in your work as a speaker and an author, you serve as a go-between among generations. Mm -hmm. What was it that made you see the need for this type of position, this type of purpose? Well, in my own company, which I started in 2002, we did not hire uh, young people. After 2008 economic implosion, I changed the business model for a lot of reasons we don't have to discuss. And I started hiring recent graduates, probably at the end of 2009. And I didn't think anything of it because I had been so successful in that in my previous two jobs with 800 and 700 people each, when most of the people who worked for me were under 30. But uh, I did not do very well (laughs) with the new crop. In fact, I had 100% failure in retention in particularly a certain time frame where we had hired six people who were all under 30 and uh, they all failed, meaning they were no longer in the company three months later, one because we walked them and, and five because they walked themselves. And I said, okay, I have been in business for a long, long time. I'm a great recruiter. I did not make six bad hires. We made six bad stays and it had to be us. It probably wasn't all them. So Um, When I started looking at that, because if you don't have a millennial now, if you don't have a Gen Z in your business, you don't have a future in your business, Mm. I started looking at it, and this was back in 2011-12, everything was negative. And, you know, 80,000 people cannot all be entitled. 80,000 people, (laughs) 80 million, not even thousand, million people cannot be entitled. 80 million people cannot be idiots. 80 million people cannot be unworthy. So I decided to do my own research just so I could help my own company and my clients. Sure. And the need for sort of that go between, and my friends called me the millennial whisperer. And for millennials, I'm often the boomer whisperer or the Gen X whisperer because, you know, I don't really like generalities, but there are definitely some generational differences that when you can bridge them, it's sort of like, aha, you know, and it just makes it so much easier. So we have Lee Carraher, the multi-generation whisperer with us today, and we're going we're gonna to be talking about generations. So I want to go ahead and upfront, could you kind of define the different generations that we're going to be talking about and maybe what years they fall into and then some unique aspects of each? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so right now there are five generations in the workplace. Um, at the very youngest, it's the Gen Z, and Gen Z is up to 22 years old. So they're just cracking into the workplace right now, 22, 23 years old right now. So they're just cracking into the workplace right now as knowledge workers. Millennials are 24 to 38 years old, and 
Uh, they were really broken into three pieces. One piece that was the first chunk, right as 9-11's happening, up to 2008, and then 2008 to 2014, and then 2014 to 2018. But that's 80 million people right there. Next is Gen Xers. Gen Xers are 39 to 54 this year. And uh, this is the smallest generation. There are only... 35 million Gen Xers were born in this country. Today, there are about 54, 55 million uh, Gen Xers in the country based on immigration and people spending time in the United States and all kinds of stuff. But it's the smallest generation. In the year 2000, they were known as the me generation, right? But they've definitely been crunched, right? They got crunched in 2000, when, particularly on the coasts, when NASDAQ imploded. Hmm. And we, they went from... Not having it, you know, I remember when I managed a different firm, I had 700 people in that agency um, at that time. And our whole goal was just to get butts and seats. You know, do they have a pulse? Hire them. Because there weren't enough people graduating to fill the jobs. But then 2000 happened and then 2001 happened. And mostly who got hit of those downturns were Gen Xers. So right as they're getting into the workplace or coming, you know, out of college, they're 22 to 27, so we're in there. You know, the economy really kills them. Then they build back up, and then 2008 happens. And this is when Gen Xers were hitting their stride. This is like, you know, mid-30s when people are really getting to that point of their career that they're, you know, found what they've liked. They got their their stuff together. And then they get hit again, not because Gen Xers lost their jobs, because fewer Gen Xers lost their jobs than boomers. But because boomers stayed in the workplace uh, and are still in the workplace and really created job suppression, as uh, as we all know, when salaries have flattened, right? The next is boomer. I'm the last year of boomer, are 55 to 68 years old, and then the silent generation, 69 to about 81 years old. So five generations in the workplace, boomers and millennials are the biggest chunks right now. But millennials will, uh, in a few years, there'll be more millennials in the workplace than any other generation. By the time the youngest millennial is 28, the most workers will be millennials in this country. And what year will that be? That'll be in four years. Four so years. in 2023. Wow. So there are five generations in the workplace at the moment. What are some of the misunderstandings that most commonly take place among the generations? I think that the biggest problem that generations have among each other is around the concept of time. You know, there are there are things, words that boomers say and Xers say that means specific times to them, but have no sense of timing for anybody younger than hmm. us. So for instance, end of day. What does end of day mean to you, Josh? End of day, I would say like, I would say five o'clock, but I guess it depends yeah. on the context. Right. So end of day. So, so you're getting your PhD. When is your due date in college? Is it five o'clock or is it 11.59.59 p.m.? It's 11.59.59. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> so most millennials have never had a due date that wasn't 11.59.59 p.m. Okay. Since high school. And so give it to me later. If, you, if I said something to my age, give it to me later, that would mean the same day before I left the office, which is round six for me, right? 
Um, but give it to me later to people who are used to having 115959 um, deadlines. It means 115959, right? That makes sense, so yeah. we say give it to me later, and they do, but they're wrong, and they're right at the same time, right? So driving specificity into everything around time is the first thing anyone can do to like really just get rid of misunderstanding around deadlines. So late, end of day, close of business, give it to me tomorrow, by the end of the week, all those things actually meant a specific time to my generation, but they don't mean a specific time. Well, I do. It's 11.59.59 in my own time zone. Well, what if I work in Pacific time zone and you're giving me something to me in Hawaii time zone, whatever sure. that is, that's not going to work for me, right? Yeah. So um, the first, you know, at a, one of the things we did at Double Forte was, when we realized that, like all this tension was around deadlines, we started saying the day, so Friday, the date at 3 p.m. Pacific time. So we give all those four things always, no matter where we are in the country, no matter who we're talking to ourselves, we're talking to a client. So there's no misunderstanding. And that just changed the whole dynamic between teams. So I think there's time. Time is a big deal. Time shifting is a big deal. And then, you know, the last 15 years have seen a grade point average increase of a full point in colleges and high schools around the country, which means that people are graduating from school with over 4.0 averages on a 4.0 scale. And they're used to having great work, right? They're used to having great work. Well, if your 5.0 is a 4.0, that means your 4.0 is a 3.0, hmm. right? So... You get into the workplace and you do your good work and it's not good enough and you think it's done because you're a 4.5 and it's not, it's really a 3.5 and 3.5 work is not good enough in the workplace, right? So particularly in the first couple of years, uh, we see a lot of helping people understand expectations around work product is really significant um, and it's not necessarily their fault because they could get a 4.0, 4.6. But it's not because they actually earned it. It's because the system has elevated it, which is why in the last few years there's been a lot of backlash. You know, backlash is starting to happen. AP, you know, a lot of schools are not doing APs anymore. A lot of schools, you know, Berkeley, you see Berkeley, one of the best schools in the country, has started publishing the grade curve. They have a four-point system. You can't get below 4.0. Okay. But they publish the curve on every single grade you get. Well, the only reason you need to do that is because um, you need to provide context for people who are looking at grade point averages when they're applying for uh, jobs. So there's just been a lot of stuff, and those two things together um, create a lot of tension. And so I think for millennials themselves, particularly when you get into, out of school and into those first few years, driving specificity around time and also understanding that your work can always be improved – um, and then just because you're a 4.5 doesn't mean that your work is ready for prime time once you get into the workplace. <laughs> so, so much love to all the generations listening to this, but most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be millennials. So your, your first book, Millennials and Management, in that book, you talk about four key areas that are important to millennials, which are, first of all, meaning, and the second one is dialogue, then there's full life, and then there's opportunity. So why are these four things so important to millennials in the workplace? Well, I think they're, I don't think they're not important to other people. <laughs> I just think the millennials have grown up with parents who, and a system that has said, you know what, work is going to screw you, right? We've seen your parents got uh, probably 
you know, 10 million people lost their jobs in 2008, 2009. They were probably mostly parents, right? And a lot of those people are still recovering, you know, so many years later, still recovering 10 years later from that loss of income, loss of opportunity in their jobs. So the narrative has shifted from get a great job, stay there for your whole life, the company will take care of you, to Make sure you drive your own career. Make sure you do what you love because they're not going to take care of you. And there's no reason to be unhappy if since they're not going to take care of you. And that's really pretty you know, crude in terms of the swing there. But in general, that's the conversation, right? Sure. And so uh, millennials have seen their parents have to work longer than they thought, have seen their parents not be happy with the work that they had because they thought they were you know, providing for their families. And this generation is so informed. You know, they're so informed about the world and they see all the problems of the world and they want to make sure that their time on earth, this is again, a huge generalization, their time on earth is worth it, right? So they want a job that their personal values line up with. So that's meaning, right? It means something to me that I'm making a difference about something I care about. And so I think that that is it. That doesn't mean that Gen Xers, boomers and silence don't want that too. They, of course they do. They just never imagined that the bulk of people never imagined that you could actually have a career built on um, value alignment. That's all. So I guess as a follow-up to that, now that Gen Z is entering the workforce, Mm -hmm. is there any data supporting that these values are of equal weight or are there different values and priorities that they are bringing into the workplace? There's some new research on Gen Z that says uh, monetary compensation is more important to Gen Z than it is to millennials. And uh, we see that a little bit in our own comp- our own small company, but we live in San Francisco and New York, where you know it's sort of astronomical to live yeah. anyway. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that, and I think that the st- the student debt situation has only exacerbated the whole situation, um, and the dis- you know the really need to, you know, how do you get out of debt? How do you do all these things when you have this degree that promised a, you know a career? Well. There are no promises in the world, right? Sure. And um, depending on where you are in the country, depending on what you want to do, you know, if you could pay off, you could you you could have a thirty thousand dollar loan and make a thirty thousand dollar payment and still owe twenty eight thousand dollars, right? Because of interest. So I think that that is just crushing. It's crushing to for the first ten years of someone's career if they can't get ahead. So I think there's more um, and. Millennials, because of the, the period of time, you know, what happened um, in 2008, 2009, there was really no movement around the country for people. People sort of hunkered down, stay where they were, because there was no opportunity in different pockets of the country. In 2000, when people, um, when the coast had the biggest impact of that downturn from NASDAQ, you know, 80,000 professionals left the Bay Area. We're a pretty small place, and we were smaller then. 80,000 people left for other jobs. Nobody left in 2008, 2009, because there was no way to go that had opportunity, right? So um, it's a different phenomena. It's definitely a different phenomena. So your most recent book is The Boomerang Principle. Mm -hmm. Just as a broad question, what is The Boomerang Principle? Sure. The Boomerang Principle is the concept that companies and organizations that encourage and allow former employees to return to them have a strategic advantage over those that don't. So rehire your old people, people. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what what is it, what needs to happen as far as the organization goes and as far as the employee goes for this to be something that is effective and beneficial? Well, first you have to have an attitude about it, right? You have to get rid of the, um, and this is 
more true for older people than I think it is for younger people. But, you know, they leave me, they're not loyal, you know, they're dead to me attitude, right? That has to go out the door. And re really the reason I wrote that book was because I was talking about my first book. So someone would raise their hand and go, why would I train these people, which is really important, so important. Uh, why would I train these people? They're going to leave me anyway, and they're dead to me then. I'm like, no, that's the worst <laughs> thing you can possibly do. So let's just first have a couple of things. One is, you know, if you have an opinion that, you know, people who leave you are dead to you, then you shrunk your talent pool dramatically, hmm. right? You've already recruited these people. They've already gone through all your filters. And it's, it's really hubris to imagine that any company can hold a person, uh, particularly when they're young, but can hold a person through all their interest for a long period of time, given what's happened in our economy in the last 20 years. So instead, you know, how do how if you think about, wow, I've required this person, and if it's a good person, they're not, you know, they're doing a good work, they're contributing, they're a team player, all the things that make whatever your company culture is go, but they want to do something else? Well, come on. You can't, I had someone come to me and said, I want to be a nursely. Well, we're a PR firm. I cannot help you with that. <laughs> but if you want to work here while you work, you know, if you want to work at night while you get your school degree, yeah, we can figure that out, right? So instead, you know, one, train everybody. They stay longer. Two, when they want to do something else, help them. Because every time someone leaves your organization, they can help you or hurt you. And let them help you. Let them help you. And they can be out in the world in the ecosystem and actually be more valuable to you outside the company than inside the company, depending on where they go, right? And then they're going to get bored there too, because everybody does, right? And they've been told, don't stay anybody too long, four or five years, that's long enough, because I need to learn something new, you need to stay fresh. And all of the new research on what's going to happen in the workplace in the next 20 years is around learning, 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 learning. And if you're not constantly learning, constantly adding to your skill set, you're going to get, you'll be irrelevant. And no one knows this better than millennials. One of the things that may have given someone pause if they just were listening to what you're saying is how can former employees benefit my organization once they're oh, gone? Yeah. Well, many ways. One is, you know, first you want to keep connected to them, right? But if you are recruiting, the first place you want to go is people who know you, right? Tell them, we're recruiting for this level. Is anybody interested? Do you know anyone who's interested? And those employees who feel loyal, and let's just backtrack for a second, right? Loyalty is not when I'm paying you. That's actually a transaction. Loyalty in the workplace is not betraying you, right? It's not showing up for work, which is technically not a skill. But loyalty is when you're not expecting any compensation. That is a loyal act. So when people are gone from you and they find, oh, you know what? I just met Josh. You should talk to George because George needs somebody like you, Josh. And I'm going to give George a call right now. Well, I don't have to call George. I'm just doing it because I saw Josh yeah, and I yeah. know George and I think there'll be a good fit there. That's a loyal act. That's the lowest common denominator. Actually, the lowest common denominator is not saying anything bad about the company, right? <laughs> that Because word of mouth is so, so important in recruiting. Um, so in recruiting, could be you go to another company and uh, the company takes a pivot and they need a new partner and your former company is the perfect partner. Well, if you can bridge that gap, that's a loyal act right? Or you could become a client. That's a loyal act too. So all these things can do um, to people who are your former employees can help you. I don't want people, you know, loyal to me 
and my company just when we're paying them, because again, that's not a loyal act. I want them loyal to the company for the rest of their lives, the rest of their careers. And that means keeping in touch with them, them keeping in touch with us, and just sort of always thinking, you know, always being a connector. There's nothing more important than learning and connecting. And if you can have a group of alumni employees who are always doing that for you, man, you have such a strategic advantage over those that don't. Now, when it is time to leave a job, I think it can be easy to just kind of, from the employee's perspective, not really care how things end. But don't but do it. Exactly. Don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> so, what what are some recommendations that you have for people that they say it's time for me to leave my job? Based on your experience and from your perspective, what are some of the best tips on how to do this well? So the first thing is the two-week notice. You know, we need more than two weeks, unless you're in sales, where you can be expect to walk be walked out the door that day. You know, if you can give three, four weeks, that is uh, that is great because it helps people transition. Um, number one. Number two is tie everything up in a bow. So it is true that you may get walked when you give your notice, right? So before you do that, write the memo of all your projects that are in place. In you know, what are the due dates? What are the dependencies? What are you waiting for? Here's the status of everything. If you manage people, write up a half page on each of those people that and attach it to their files that says this person, you know, Joe's doing great. Joe's on this track. Here's what I recommend for Joe. The company may not take your advice, but here you have presented a, a full exit package for yourself right? That is, here are the things I'm responsible for. Here's how I recommend you get them done without me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And say thank you, right? And do it nicely. And when you go, don't recruit people behind you to come out the company. Those are the things you can do to make sure that you are boomerang eligible. It may be true that you work for a boss who's terrible, who doesn't believe in boomerangs, but that person may not probably won't last forever. And whatever's in your file, you know, all this stuff goes in your file. Uh, if you're in a big company, and it'll reflect it'll reflect on you. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it too is you have to remember, you know, my when I started my company, this company, in 2002, my biggest network were the people I worked with at Sega of America. Sega of America I had left six years earlier, but my whole company, the first six years, were all former Sega employees. Wow. So you know, keeping in good contact with the people you want to work with, that's. You know, and Sega can kill count on me to say great things about the company because I loved that company. There are so many things that you've written in your book, so many insights that you have. We've, we've only been able to cover a fraction of it. Before we finish up this part of the interview, are there any thoughts either to continue what we've already talked about or maybe to just briefly introduce that you'd like to share with the audience? I think that, that we have to think about careers as self-guided and that you want to be, and, and that is a different point of view from companies. Companies used to be places where you, you did, you, go, you went and you stayed forever. No longer the case, can't promise it. Um, and the faster we can help people achieve their own goals, the better our companies will be and the longer people will stay with you. And in the end, longevity is important. Um, it is important to keep people in, uh, good people in your company for a long time, but it's also important to help people do what they want to do because if when you do that, you know, your pie gets larger. Lee, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. All righty. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? My boss, Mary Jean Lozier, she, I would talk to her and, and uh, she would just say, tell me more. And so every time I'm talking to somebody who wants an answer from me, I just say, tell me more. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A great listener. 
a great cheerleader and a great delegator. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I like the continuity there. What book would you recommend to leaders? Oh, my gosh, I have so many. And if you follow me on Instagram, you can see all, I review them all there. I would say today I'm going to pick one, Build an A-Team by Whitney Johnson. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Stop talking. And finally, an arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why not? All right, Lee. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Before you go, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing and what you're all about with your work? You can visit me on my website, www.leecarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Lee Carraher. Instagram's the same. And on LinkedIn, I'm Lee Carraher. All right, Lee, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Josh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.